Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You are listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a real person sharing their story of loss and the insights they have gained that help them on their journey with grief. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Wendy McGuire, a clinical social worker and social work educator. Wendy, welcome to the Grief Stories podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Maureen. I'm so happy to be here. So we're going to talk today about um, the idea or the misconception or the myth that a deathbed redemption is something that everyone should strive for and uh, that it's desirable and and that it might, you know, always be possible. And um, that's something that we want to kind of explore a little bit in our conversation today. So when we talk about the idea of a deathbed redemption, what does that mean to you? Well, to me, uh, it means kind of making up for the things that didn't happen during a lifetime. So in my situation, I had been estranged from my family for a number of years. And shortly before my mom's death, we, we we were kind of reuniting. So I had this idea that we could finally resolve everything. Okay. So it's that sense that you can make right things that didn't happen or that didn't go right previously. There's this, this is the time to do it. Yeah. And and to create a kind of, a kind of connection that maybe hadn't been possible in the past. Mm -hmm. And so you spent some time trying to make those connections and have that opportunity. And and what did you learn from that that you would like to share with people and have them have an idea about? Well, it, it's not that I think that you you shouldn't make an effort. I mean, how can you really live your, with yourself if you if you don't? Like as her daughter, this was kind of my last chance when she was diagnosed with with leukemia, and um, so I did make a, quite a lot of effort to, to try to make that connection during the last two years of her life. And I don't, it's not like I regret that effort, but some of the, the level, I think, of, of hopefulness I felt stemmed more from TV narratives than from something that was realistic. And I think I did put myself through maybe more, more suffering than was necessary. Okay, so it's this idea that um, you that there's a lot of um, responsibility to the person who is, uh, you know, present and witnessing the end of life um, to make this effort to to try to do all of these things to make that reconnection, and um, and with a belief perhaps that. Um, they'll work. And and I guess what we're talking about is the idea that it's okay to give yourself permission to, uh, to not do everything um, if it feels like it's beyond. Yeah, because there was a reason why uh, if you are estranged, I guess, from a a parent, 
there was a reason why, at least in my case, I, I removed myself from that relationship because it was it was extremely painful and I I didn't feel accepted or, or seen or valued. So I, I kind of removed myself from my own sanity. And then um, when she was diagnosed with a terminal illness, I re-engaged with this really deep longing and hopefulness that now it could be different. Um, mm. So this being in her presence, you know, going to the hospital, traveling four hours by train to get there and spending that time there um, was putting myself back into a place of deep pain but because trying to connect with her was painful. And I did it in the hope that it, it would work. Something would come of it. Mm. And it sounds like in, in your situation that perhaps some of the things that led to the estrangement hadn't necessarily changed or changed enough to allow that possible redemption. Exactly. Yeah. So for in our situation, there were a couple of things. One was that I came out when I was 20 as, as a lesbian and uh, my family was fairly religious and very traditional and did not approve of my lifestyle. But more and more seriously than that, they, they over time, as our culture changed, they became a lot more accepting of uh, my homosexuality. But the thing that my mother couldn't accept is that I had um, come forward and told very publicly uh, members of my family that my brother had sexually abused me when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And that was to her way of thinking um, beyond redemption. That that um, disclosure of of that uh, circumstance, and so she uh, hung on to that um, belief. It sounds like uh, really through her whole life. She did. It's- I still find it remarkable how stubborn she was. Mm. She could stick to her her viewpoint. But I think, you know, women of a certain era who, being a mother was her entire identity. And she was a smart woman. She could have done a lot of other things, but that was who she was. And my, this accusation uh, of something that she didn't witness, that she didn't see, that she, she didn't do anything about, she didn't stop, she didn't protect me. She didn't, you know, do the right <laughs> thing. Yes, called into question her goodness as a mother. Right, and she couldn't tolerate that dichotomy because that was her identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she had to reject you because otherwise it meant accepting that she had 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 failure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so this sense of you know, as an adult coming back to the relationship and with her diagnosis, feeling perhaps some hope that some of this would be resolved, that you'd have a chance to make that reconnection with her. She'd have a chance to apologize um, and there'd be room for forgiveness and um, and reconnection. And, and then to have the work that you were doing towards that, you know, be ineffective in the long run. Um, that's that's more painful again, isn't it? 
yeah, it was it was very painful. I mean, hope in itself can be painful when well when it's not fulfilled. It is definitely painful, but the act of hoping for this thing that I had long ago decided was beyond hope. It was it was quite painful. Hmm. And I think you know you've identified some of the reasons why she was caught in that in her in her space of whatever she believed or whatever she clung clung to. Um, uh, th- that it, it's likely that she was caught there in terms of her identity um, and just unable to to shift out of it. Um, and even with even facing the end of life, and so we hear. You know, we often hear stories about people changing when they have a terminal diagnosis, um, that they do sometimes change their outlook or they change their approach or they reconsider things just like what you're talking about um, in order to make amends before they're gone. And I guess what we're really talking about today is the fact that that just doesn't always happen and that it's not your fault when it doesn't. Yeah, I, I really truly believe that people tend to die the way they live and that was certainly how she her whole death was kind of a clinging to life a clinging to uh, she took the process of chemo beyond what I think is humane and the doctors did and she she clung to her beliefs you know that strongly and uh there may be a few people who, who really have some radical transformation, but most people I think would have to at least have lived a more open life to open up even further, you know, at the end. Mm-hmm. Or to have it happen in a way that there's a feeling of satisfaction that it, there's some resolution. Um, yeah. Because I think sometimes people make a few efforts, but they, they fall short of what actually gives resolution. Yeah. And after a certain point of trying, I, I did realize, okay, this isn't going to happen. And I, and I did kind of back away closer to the end, but I was still quite shocked when uh, just shortly before the weekend that she died, when she was still uh, lucid, she made it very clear to my father who told me that I was not welcome there. I was not welcome to be at her death because my brother would be there and it might upset him. Mm. Mm. So even in her last sort of direction, it was that one more um, slice towards you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that really moves you into a different space as you look at her death and your process after her death in terms of how you go through the emotional um, process. experience of grief, um, it's going to look quite different and feel quite different if you have a relationship that has been so difficult and with estrangement and conflict, um, then the grief experience looks quite different uh, as well, right? So can you talk a little, yeah, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what what kind of things you experienced and how that, you know, is... um, translated for you into a grief experience sure uh yeah so i was i was doing my phd at the time and i had been struggling a bit because uh of having a terminally ill parent of traveling to see them and 
you know, it was heavy and I had a very young child, has a, a four-year-old, I guess not that young, but a four-year-old. So life had been so heavy and I had been very depressed and I don't really remember being angry. I think I had a lot more anger earlier in my life. This was more just, uh, more sadness. But when she passed away and it was like this, this whole space opened up in my life where there was numbness and shock in the beginning. It's like, oh my God, my mother's dead. You know, you walk around thinking, my mother's dead. My mother's dead. Is she dead? Where, where is she? Uh-huh. That sense of unreality. Uh, but as it sunk in, I felt this lightness. And I went to family gatherings that I had never felt welcomed at before. My father's family is very large and we have regular gatherings. And I would go and people would come up to me and be friendly to me. And I'd always wondered, was there a chill in the air? Were they ignoring me? Or was it all in my head? But after my mom was gone, the warmth was in such contrast to the chill before that I realized, oh my God, they were protecting her, standing with her. And that's why I didn't feel welcome. And with her gone, they could just kind of, they could re-embrace me into their family. And so I felt this joy that I had actually I lost my mother but I got my entire extended family back and my father who said the one good thing about about your mom's death is that I've got my daughter back now Mm. so in fact the redemption came with everybody else after afterward yes it did yeah yeah yeah, maybe not quite everybody. I like that way of looking at it. I haven't really thought about it that way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The so all of the work you did was maybe for your own um, ability to free that space up, and then and then the connections came after. They couldn't come with your mom. Yeah, I guess if I had just stayed away and thought, oh got nothing to do with me, she never loved me, then I probably wouldn't have gone back to the rest of the family either. I would have just kept separate and been closed in myself, but that's not how I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, so, it, you know, it, it seems like it felt that the, that the efforts they were making before she died were unsuccessful and, and, um, and in fact, they didn't achieve the result you were hoping for with her. Um, but but it is possible that they opened you up to allow the possibility of this other connection um, afterwards, and and uh, that um, that freedom um, it came with the price of the work that you did. But it yes. has allowed you to flow, and I think I think it's also you know. S- uh, something that people sometimes feel when there's a death and there's been a lot of difficulty before the death, that there is a sense of relief um, that then we sometimes feel uncomfortable about because we're not supposed to feel relieved when someone who's um, related to us or has an attachment in our life somehow, we're not supposed to feel relieved when they die. Yeah, it's awkward when people are offering their condolences and you don't, you <laughs> can't really say how you're actually feeling. Yeah, 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 because people um, second guess that or look twice. And yet, 
um, it makes a lot of sense when a relationship has been so difficult. And there, are, there, your story is one among many of difficult relationships. You know, for sure. Yeah. 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 There was another moment of redemption, if I can add to this, mm-hmm. that that happened five years later, which I'm now seeing everything as a series of redemptions. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) When so five years later, I was at a family gathering and a cousin of mine came up to me and said, I want to tell you something. I went to see a psychic. And the weird thing was she went to see the psychic five years earlier, right after my mom died, but didn't tell me until five years later. She said, I saw a psychic for her own purposes. And and she said to me, your aunt is in the room and she has a message she would like you to deliver to her daughter. And my cousin's like, oh, well, okay. And the, and the psychic says the name of my mother. She says, it's, it's Thelma. Thelma's in the room with us. And she wants you to tell Wendy that she's sorry. Mm. Wow. And that's very specific. <laughs> It was very specific. <laughs> the yeah. psychic has a two-year waiting list, by the way. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's yeah, a very specific told, message. Yeah. She told it to me. I was so glad she waited to tell me because I, I would not have been able to hear it before then. But, but when she told me that, I just, I felt so, I think I felt that kind of, that connection that I'd always wanted in, in our lives between me and my mom but that somehow after her death, um, she communicated it to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, another way that the work that you did while she was still here gave you the opportunity to be open later to hear that message and to receive it as as um, as a way of uh, finding some peace with with that relationship. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Can I ask you a question, Maureen? Yeah. I, I've just heard you say a few times the work that I did, the work that I did. Do you think there is some type of, I don't know, dying work that we do in order to make carrying on after the death, I don't know, better in some way? I do think so. I mean, I think about when we know someone is dying, um, and I'm going to say imminently, but I don't mean immediately, um, Mm -hmm. but we know that it's coming. Uh, My experience is, both personally and professionally, we tend to walk with that person differently, and we also walk with ourselves differently. And so what we do is we notice more about that person, our relationship with them, how we want to be in the world, how we wish we could be with them. Um, and we have we have to weigh that against reality, including the reality that their time with us is shorter than we might have liked or shorter than we thought before the diagnosis. And so we do, I think we do work that is going to prepare us both for their death and for living without them, adjusting to the world without them afterwards. But I don't think everybody does that. Um, Mm. I think that some people are able to do that and other people, um, can be caught in their own space 
um, of sometimes denial is very powerful. Uh, and sometimes there are other painful dynamics, I think, that prevent people from shifting into that place of anticipating the loss and trying to uh, work with it in terms of preparing for what's coming. Right. Yeah. And I also, I guess I'll add that I also think that um, it's hard to be fully prepared. So whatever work we do, like your work that you were doing, trying to reconnect with your mom, didn't come to fruition in the way that you hoped it would, which didn't mean that it didn't come to fruition in other ways later. So, exactly, yeah. yeah, sometimes what we're doing, we, we are not sure of what the payoff is going to be, but we're certainly trying for something. And because of that, I can think of another another kind of fruition was that I developed a different relationship to her to her her memory to like I would be my mom was a really good cook and when I cook in the kitchen I sometimes feel aware of her and when my children were have struggled struggled with certain things I would sometimes have conversations with her and I would be the first person to say she was not a great mom to me and yet she did things that were really that all moms do that are so hard you know it's very hard to be a mom Mm -hmm. And I would ask her, what should I do? And think maybe now that she's on the other side, she has like some supernatural wisdom. She can please tell me what should I do when I would never have asked for her advice during her lifetime, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wonder if it felt like the possibility was there to ask her and reflect on some of those, those, you know, nurturing things that she did. Um, you know, if it was more possible to reflect on those without the conflict present once she was gone. Yeah. You know, the conflict doesn't perpetuate typically once the person's gone, there's no one to fight with, or fight isn't the right word, but no one to bump up against um, in the same old ways. And then sometimes that can soften what we feel and allow us to remember some of those other more positive memories like her cooking and like some of those pieces that um that you have other memories of that that weren't as present in the front of your mind when that when she was there and you were feeling the judgment and the and the um disconnection absolutely it's, it's it was like kind of like having a thorn removed from one side i remember thinking a lot after she was gone that I would have no new pain, with no new pain from my relationship to her. Mm. And so with that pain removed, then yeah, you're right. These these other things resurfaced that I could actually appreciate. It wasn't it wasn't all bad. There were there were good things, there were things I learned. Mm-hmm. There were moments <laughs> of pleasure we shared. Mm-hmm. And there were times and ways that she cared for you, um, yes. you know, going way back, there were times and ways that she cared for you when, uh, when she could and in the best way she could. Um, exactly. Yeah, they got, they got a little bit tangled up when it came to some of the later stuff for sure. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to bake for a teenager. <laughs> it doesn't have the same impact as baking with a, a young a younger child sometimes I guess <laughs> it doesn't solve as many things when you're when you're in those older stages yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so I guess, I mean, really, overall, the idea is that of what we're talking about today is that um, it's possible and even worthy to strive for a reconnection and a resolution of conflict and some redemption. But it's also important to keep in mind that it may not come the way you hope for and that it may not it may not happen in the timeline that you're thinking because the other person just might not be able to make that shift. But that, that doesn't mean you're not able to do your own healing and your own work so that you can find pieces of redemption and fruition of the work that you've done in other ways. And that, that that's, it's important to maybe broaden your idea of success when it comes to end of life resolution. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's hard to think of what's going to happen beyond the death when you, when it's your first parent to die. It's just, you can't really imagine <laughs> after a parent, but, but it's something that I think yeah, if you can learn from other people that there is this trajectory that carries on. But I would also want to say to be looking both outside and inside at the same time. So work at it with your family member but also don't forget yourself in that process keep an eye on how you're doing inside and don't don't push yourself too far because you have to take care of you Mm -hmm. give yourself some space to say okay this isn't working the way i hoped it would be and to to give to back off a little bit sounds like you were able to do that in your own experience um to give yourself a little bit of space um and then, I mean, your, your mom's decision to disallow you in the room was sort of the 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 definite line there too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's you know, I think that's such an important idea for people to consider because it's such a hard reality when we've got such a deep divide or a um, you know a, a, a such a painful conflict with someone um, and. Um, in a relationship like your mother or your father or some close relationship like that where it's supposed to be a different way and people have expectations of that because of the relationship that don't really fit your own personal experience it's important to know that that there are other possibilities other than what people expect of you absolutely yeah and if things don't go the way you you are hoping and this redemption doesn't happen just to repeat what you said Maureen it is absolutely not your fault mm-hmm. and if, when you if you are like me a survivor of abuse it can be hard to keep that in mind and you think she's not responding to me it must be me but it, it isn't it's absolutely not your fault and um, we can't we can't control how other people react we can only control how we react Mm -hmm. yes yeah and and know that when we do the best that we can that's all that we can do and that's enough yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well thank you very much for sharing your story with us and and giving me the opportunity to talk with you about this concept which i think is so important for many people to hear both if they're having their own conflict but also if someone in their life is experiencing something similar and they're trying to understand where that person is um, coming from with their with their decision-making process. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be able to share my story, and I hope that um, people are able to connect and work through your own process in a way that leads to your own redemptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I think this is uh, this story is one way to to offer that opportunity for people to consider their perspective and and. Uh, and have that possibility open up to them. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we know that this story might be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.